just when you thought there was no hope for baby boomers. It's the Rational Boomer Podcast. Logic, common sense, compassion. Yeah, who knew? Now, here's Mike. We are back on the Rational Boomer Podcast. Hopefully your day is going well. It is Wednesday. Now, yesterday here in Minnesota, we've got about three to four inches of snow, temperature around 20, 22. Now, that's really no big deal in Minnesota. That's standard fare for Minnesota this time of year. I know in a lot of places around the country, you get an inch or two of snow. It shuts down everything. But here in Minnesota, we've dealt with it every year forever. So the snow plows get out, the sand trucks get out, and everything's plowed, and the day goes on pretty typically. Now, it can get a little shaky out there if it gets really cold and you get the black ice and stuff like that. And the reason I bring that up is because I wanted to tell you a quick story before we got into the news. Now, as I've told you before, I was a traffic reporter. I sat in a Minnesota Department of Transportation facility. They had 500-plus cameras all over the freeway system. I would watch those cameras, and then I would report what's going on in traffic. And people would listen, and they'd avoid certain areas or at least know what they were headed into. Now, in Minnesota, we do have something called black ice. And uh, black ice is basically when it's sub-zero, and they call it refreeze. And what that is is you, you know, clear off roads and stuff. But if you get stop-and-go traffic or at intersections and the side streets, you'll get the exhaust creating kind of a, um, I don't know, a a condensation on the roadway and then it freezes real quickly when you leave so you got this very slick ice under uh, or on top of the roadway and it, it can take you by surprise it's very clear and you can't see it so when you're coming to an intersection you hit the brakes and you just fucking slide all the way through it is scary as hell because there's really not much you can do at that point so the bottom line is just to d- drive slowly and uh do what you can to break, and sometimes that isn't even enough. Anyway, you know, give, given we're in these times where we have racism and white supremacy, I thought this was an interesting story. Um, I was doing reports one day where it was snowing and uh, it was sub-zero. I mean, it was cold as shit. And you would see, you know, cars just go off the freeways in certain spots over overpasses where you had air rushing underneath the bridge you would get black ice there you'd get it in corners and people would one by one go into the ditch and they would just keep going into the ditch i mean you could just sit and watch one guy two guys in the ditch here comes another one they're in the ditch it just you would think they'd see this up ahead and they'd slow down but no fucking people don't do that Anyway, I'm doing the reporting on that day, and I'm talking about all the things that are going on. We've got a crash here. We've got a crash there, backups to such and such. And I said, look, we've got some snow. We've got some ultra-cold weather, and uh, black ice is giving us a lot of problems. Black ice has given us a lot of problems on the freeway, so please be careful. 
no big deal. I do the day's reports and I'm walking out. And one of the bosses at this Department of Transportation facility stops me and says, Mike, come here. We got to talk. <laughs> and I go, okay. And, <laughs> and he says, we got a complaint that you're talking about racist shit on the radio. I go, what? Racist shit? <laughs> I said, dude, I'm just talking about traffic. It's a shitty day out there. Why would I talk about anything but traffic? And he says, well, I got a call. And they said you were ranting about all the black guys on the roadway <laughs> that were causing problems. And I looked at him and I said, you really think I would say that? He says, well, they said they, you said it. And I go, what I was referring to is black ice, not black guys. <laughs> and he looks at me kind of perplexed and he goes, Oh, I guess that makes sense. I go, yeah, that makes fucking sense. Now quit bugging me and let me go home. That's the thing about when you're on the radio. People love to listen and they love to hear if you make a mistake and they want to jump all over you. I get it on TikTok too. If maybe I say a word a little weird or uh, <clears throat> something goes awry and it's just a little weird, they can't help but jump on you. And it always annoyed me. Fortunately, in that case, I wasn't being racist. I was being accurate by talking about fucking black ice. So if you hear me mention black ice in the future, it's ice, not guys. All right, let's get down to uh, the business at hand. It's interesting. Uh, we know about the little dinner party that Donald Trump had with Nick Fuentes and Kanye Smith. And this has really been a big backlash for Donald Trump. I mean, it's causing him a lot of problems. I don't think he ever imagined this would cause him a lot of shit. Now, nobody would have ever known about this little get-together had Kanye kept his mouth shut. But, of course, narcissists and sociopaths, they can't keep their mouth shut. Donald Trump doesn't. Uh, and, of course, Kanye can't. Well, yesterday, Senate Minority Leader Mitch McConnell of Kentucky appeared uh, in front of TV cram cameras to criticize former President Donald Trump's recent dinner with a white nationalist, being Nick Fuentes, saying that anyone who meets with anti-Semites or white supremacists is highly unlikely to be ever elected president of the United States again. Now, he never said Donald Trump's name, but that word again would suggest it's Donald Trump. And see, that's the funny thing about this. Donald Trump does this abhorrent, this horrific thing, and Mitch can't even say his fucking name. And the interesting thing about this is this, uh, this mention by Mitch McConnell comes seven days after the event, after it became known that he had this little dinner party. You can just see the Republicans wringing their hands and clutching their pearls saying, oh, God, we should say something, but we don't want to say something. We don't want to piss off double Donald Trump. 
Now, Mitch McConnell went on to say there is no room in the Republican Party for anti-Semitism or white supremacy. He said that during a weekly news conference on Capitol Hill. Now, McConnell's remarks come days after Trump, who announced his 2024 campaign earlier this month, met with Nick Fuentes and rapper Kanye in Mar-a-Lago. Now, Trump says he didn't know this Nick Fuentes. He did know Kanye West, and Kanye's got some problems, too. I mean, wasn't he the one uh, that wore the T-shirt that said White Lives Matter? Kanye just uh, likes to stir shit up. He's like Donald Trump in that sense. If he's not getting attention, he'd rather get negative attention than no attention. Now, Trump's meeting with Fuentes and Kanye has drew criticism from some GOP senators this week, while other lawmakers have declined to comment on the matter. On Monday, McConnell had said that he would be happy to take questions about the meeting during his weekly press conference. Uh, But we know, yeah, we know that Mitch isn't always forthcoming. Former Vice President Mike Pence on Monday became the most prominent Republican to condemn the meeting. Uh, And he said that Trump should apologize and denounce those individuals and their hateful rhetoric. Well, of course, Donald Trump will never do that because then he'd have to admit to being wrong. Donald Trump never admits to being wrong. He just fucking doubles down. But again, this is almost a week after the fact. Now, Mitch McConnell was also asked at this, uh, at this press conference. He said, uh, well, when asked Tuesday whether he would support Donald Trump in 2024 if he wins the Republican nomination, McConnell previously had said he absolutely would support Trump if he's the 2024 presidential nominee. But he changed it up a little bit, but not all the way. He wouldn't commit to this. He said, let me just say again, there is no, simply no room in the Republican Party for anti-Semitism or white supremacy. That would apply to all leaders in the party who will be seeking offices. Why can't Mitch McConnell just said, you know, that's fucked up what Donald Trump did. He has no business running for president, and I will not support him. That seems like an easy thing to do. But even Mitch McConnell can't do that, even though Donald Trump has suggested that the Republicans should get rid of Mitch McConnell. There is a deep-set fear in the Republican Party. They are afraid of Donald Trump. And I'm curious as to why, because Donald Trump no longer has a lot of power. I mean, his base, you know, it's fairly sizable, but it's only like 30% of the country. It's not something that's going to win elections for them. That said, the trump then split the party, makes the Republicans generally weaker. So I'm sure Mitch McConnell is kind of caught between a rock and a hard place. But but here's the thing. Didn't Mitch McConnell say that if they didn't win the Senate, if they didn't get the majority in the Senate, that he would resign? He hasn't resigned yet. Is he going to resign in January when the uh, 
Democrats continue to take over and maybe get an extra seat? I don't know. See, that's the problem we get from politicians. We get a lot of talk. We get a lot of yapping. But they will never commit themselves. Mitch McConnell couldn't even commit to the fact that he was holding Donald Trump accountable for meeting with a white supremacist and Kanye West. He couldn't commit to it. He knew he had to say something, but he couldn't say Donald Trump's name. To me, that's weak. To me, that's fucked up. We'll see how this continues, but this will just be one of the many things that will come out to discredit Donald Trump. We'll see how they act as these things come to light. Well, we got a little bit of good news. You'll remember that there were five Oath Keepers on trial for seditious conspiracy. And that's a pretty big deal, because if these guys get convicted of seditious conspiracy, that opens the door wide open for those people above him, people sitting members of Congress, Roger Stone, Jenny Thomas. So... If these people were found guilty of seditious conspiracy, those motherfuckers should be nervous. So what happened was two out of five defendants linked to the far-right Oath Keepers group were found guilty of seditious conspiracy charges on Tuesday in what was the government's highest stake capital riot trial held so far. Now, the last time somebody's been convicted of a conspiracy a uh, seditious conspiracy was a long fucking time ago. A long fucking time ago. It's kind of an antiquated law, but uh, for whatever reason, the feeling was that it was appropriate in this situation. Now, the Oath Keepers founder, Elmer Stewart Rhodes, and a member who ran the Florida chapter, Kelly Meggs, were both found guilty in a verdict that came after three days' deliberations. On other charges, however, the jury was mixed, finding Rhodes guilty, not finding Rhodes guilty of obstructing an official proceeding. No, he did find it obstructing an official proceeding, not guilty of conspiracy to obstruct an official proceeding. Meggs was found guilty of both. Now, see, Here's the deal. It turns out Rode wasn't even at the Capitol on January 6th, but they found enough tape, um, voicemail messages, uh, text messages, phone calls, where he was clearly involved and clearly planning something in advance of January 6th. I mean, he as much as said the only thing he regretted about January 6th is not bringing rifles. He thought they should have brought rifles. And then he said, I'd hang Nancy Pelosi from a lamppost. Well, when you have that kind of audio, it's hard to uh, try to convince somebody that you're innocent. Now, three other defendants were found guilty on lesser charges, but not seditious conspiracy. These uh, proceedings in the trial stretch for about two months. The process of selecting a panel of 12 jurors and a handful of alternates began last week in the last week of September. Now, prosecutors wanted to prove that the deadly mob that stormed the U.S. legislative seat of power, the Capitol, 
posed a real threat to American democracy. The guilty verdict, even a mixed one, underlines the importance of efforts to hold participants accountable. Now, the five people that were on trial were Elmer Stewart Rhodes, Kelly Meggs, Thomas Caldwell, Jessica Watson, and Kenneth Harrelson. They were each accused of scheming to disrupt the transfer of presidential power by force on January 6th. See, the thing is, Watkins, Harrelson, and Caldwell were kind of like the worker bees. They might have been involved. But the two leaders, Rhodes and Meggs, those are the one um, those are the ones that were in charge and created the plan or conspiracy, if you will. As I said, the fact that these two were found guilty of seditious conspiracy spells a lot of trouble for the people above them, sitting members of Congress, Roger Stone, Jenny Thomas, and God knows who else. Because you can't have a conspiracy unless you're conspiring with somebody. And if you're conspiring with somebody, you have to have somebody that has equal effect or, or um, information or sources or, or the ability to get things from a higher level. And that, of course, would be those sitting members of Congress. Now, the judge um, is expected to hand down sentences in the coming weeks. Now, this, this charge, seditious conspiracy, isn't used very much. The maximum prison sentence for, uh, for this charge is 20 years. The same maximum is uh, for an obstructing an official proceeding, and those other three got that too. So each one of these folks could get 20 years. Um, my guess is they won't get uh, 20 years, but maybe, maybe they will. Um, Three of the defendants took the stand. Rhodes, who founded the Oath Keepers um, after the election of former President Barack Obama. Caldwell, whose lawyer suggested his poor health prevented him from seriously acting on any threats he made to overthrow the government. And Watkins, who angrily voiced her support for election fraud in the fucking trial. Yeah, she was doubling down. She wanted to lecture people on election fraud. Now, clearly, she's a dumb fuck. I mean, she's in the Oath Keepers. I think that's right in the rules and regulations. You've got to be an insurrectionist. You've got to hate uh, people of color. You've got to hate LGBTQ folks. And you've got to be a dumb fuck. And she nailed them all. Now, all three struggled to varying degrees when confronted with evidence of their own past statements during the cross-examination. And it wasn't going well from the start for them. They didn't do well. At trial, evidence showed how members of the group stashed a large quantity of power, powerful rifles and ammunition, along with other survival gear, just outside Washington, D.C., uh, at a hotel where they were staying. While Washington has strict gun controls, Virginia laws are a little laxer. You know, they didn't even get to, into the gun issue with this situation. You know, and that's the thing that Republicans always say. They didn't have guns. Well, they did have guns. In fact, there were some people in the, um, in the crowd of insurrectionists that did have many kinds of weapons, bear spray, 
bars, knives, all that stuff. But there were some guns in the insurrection as well. But they put some off in another state, Virginia, in a hotel. And the intent was to go in there, overrun them, and then go back and get the guns if necessary, and then finish the job. Well, of course, the Oath Keepers didn't finish the job, which is really weird when you think about it. I mean, they had every opportunity to be successful in their efforts because Donald Trump was protecting them. Uh, He was holding back the National Guard, the police. Uh, They had not enough police on location. They shorted the police. So they had every opportunity to do it. The funny thing is they fucking failed. Now, on CNN Tuesday, following the convictions of the far-right fucks, the militia, the Oath Keepers for seditious conspiracy and various other offenses in connection with the attack, former federal prosecutor Renato Mariotti broke down how the verdict spells trouble for key allies of former President Donald Trump. Mariotti zeroed in on longtime Trump associate Roger Stone, who was flanked by Oath Keepers, acting as bodyguards in D.C. shortly before they joined the attack. Now, see, Roger Stone said, I wasn't even there. Well, he was there. There was video there. He employed the Oath Keepers as, uh, as protection, as bodyguards. We know that Roger Stone lies a lot. We know he's already been convicted of crimes. Donald Trump pardoned him. That's not going to be the case here. So now that they got these guys for seditious conspiracy, Roger Stone and maybe even Jenny Smith and maybe even the sitting members of Congress are going to be up next. So they know that the Oath Keepers were in contact with individuals close to former President Donald Trump, Roger Stone and Michael Flynn. How might this verdict today, this guilty verdict for two of the five seditious conspiracies, and guilty for all five of obstructing official proceedings, a potential 20 years in prison, each for these seditious conspiracy charges. How could this impact Donald Trump's associates like Roger Stone and Michael Flynn, Jake Tapper asked Mariotti. And Mariotti said this, well, they have to be concerned because particularly the individuals, like you said, Roger Stone, who have a very specific and personal ties to these groups, said Mariotti. You know, Jake, when I represent clients who are, you know, part of a series of cases that are getting charged, I usually track the different cases and sentences and the results in a spreadsheet and keep my clients up to date on how all those cases are going, working their way through the courts. If I represented Roger Stone here and I was giving him advice, I would tell him, you know, we need to be very concerned about your involvement, your relationships with these groups. He said all of this matters because January 6th investigation at the Justice Department is ongoing. They haven't stopped investigating this shit. They're still looking into it. Mariotti said, you don't want yourself to get caught up in a seditious conspiracy charge. I mean, what I think the Justice Department proved today is that they can try seditious conspiracy cases and they can win and get a conviction on these facts on the January 6th conspiracy. And I think that's, well, that's something that was a question mark. 
And, 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 and that's true. When they were originally charged with seditious conspiracy, it's such an old law. It was kind of unproven in, in current times. And some people thought, well, this may be going too far. This is going to blow up in their faces because it's going to be hard to prove. But apparently, they knew it wasn't going to be hard to prove, and they got convictions. There were a lot of doubters out there, and everyone associated with the January 6th conspirators. I think they have to take note of that and be very concerned. And I think they probably are. I mean, I think one of the things they believe might happen is that people start pleading out or turning state evidence, if you will. I mean, you look at somebody like Roger Stone. He's in his 70s. He gets a 20-year sentence, and uh, he's sentenced for life, essentially. Same goes for Jenny Thomas. Same goes for Michael Flynn. Um, And then you've got the sitting members of Congress. How are they looking at this? It's funny, when you see them now, they're all hyped up because they've got the Republican control in the House, even though it's minimal. They're still standing tall and talking shit and trying to be tough. But they got to know, especially after this conviction, that they're under the microscope. We know there's lots of video. We know that the DOJ has text messages and emails and all those sorts of things. And if they were able to put together a conviction on these two Oath Keepers, anybody tied to the Oath Keepers, anybody communicating with the Oath Keepers is going to be in trouble. And we know that some of these sitting members of Congress were connected. Jenny Thomas, we know, said, send me a Venmo so I can send you money to get people up there in the buses. Jenny Thomas fucking did that. We know that Roger Stone was standing with the Oath Keepers on January 6th and had employed them as bodyguards. Roger Stone talks a lot of shit. Most of it is lies. But the truth is going to come out here. Roger Stone is going to be exposed for his connection there. and He is always the lead shitster. He's probably the one that got this whole thing started, along with Ginny Thomas. We know that there are sitting members of Congress that had interactions or communications with the Oath Keepers. We know that somebody even gave a tour to said Oath Keepers. So, this is a fucking problem. And I got to believe they see this. I think some of them may think they're protected because they've got a slim majority in the House, but uh, that ain't going to be enough. There's the 14th Amendment. They could be expelled from Congress. If they're indicted, they will certainly be expelled from Congress. Now, what happens then in Congress, um, they have special elections. And, you know, we could get more Republicans in there. But given the current state of the Republican Party— And the way people are seeing them, it could also get us some Democrats in there. And if Democrats get in there, it isn't going to take long for the Democrats to get the majority, three or four seats. So that's not going to be uh, a good thing for the Republicans. And as Ed has pointed out on this show before, we have an issue with um, um, the guy from Wisconsin, Ron, whatever the fuck his name is. Ron Johnson, 
Now, Ron Johnson, we know he was part of this fake elector scheme. He got handed a package from somebody who was involved in the fake elector scheme, and uh, he could be taken to task by the DOJ. Again, this is all about insurrection. You didn't have to run into the Capitol, break some shit, and shit on the floor to get arrested. We're talking about conspiracy now, and if the conspiracy involves people at higher levels and just helping the people at the lower levels, that's still seditious conspiracy. Now, if Ron Johnson says, well, I only had the package for like six seconds, doesn't matter. You had them. You were in on this. And I'm guessing there are some text messages and emails they have that prove that out. Now, if Ron Johnson gets expelled from the Senate, that's a much different situation. He gets expelled from the Senate, then the governor has the ability to appoint a replacement. The only trouble with the Republicans is that that governor in Wisconsin, who just won re-election, happens to be a Democrat. So you think he's going to replace Ron Johnson with a Republican? I think not. I think he will appoint a Democrat. And then assuming Warnock wins in Georgia next week, then we might have 52 senators in the U.S. Senate, making it even stronger for the Democrats. Those two convictions for seditious conspiracy are a big deal. This puts everybody they were connected to regardless of how high you are in politics, it puts them on notice. It also puts them at risk of being charged and convicted of the very same thing. So it's going to be interesting to see how these people react. I suspect we're going to see them get even more agitated, talking more shit. But as you can tell, between Donald Trump's top-secret documents, this little special dinner party, and now this conviction, we're going to see people kind of freaking out. They're going to be doing some crazy things because that's all they have left. They can't use their delay tactics or their typical strategies anymore. They're going to start flailing. They're going to start getting upset. And it's going to be really entertaining. Because there's really no way out for these people. Uh, Granted, I know you say it's taking too long, but there is progress being made every day. And what happened yesterday with the conviction of these two oath keepers of seditious conspiracy and also all five of them being convicted of obstruction, that is very problematic for the Republicans who, who were connected to the oath keepers. So we'll see what happens But I don't think it's going to be good for the Republicans, and I think it's something that we're going to see come to a head here fairly soon. All right, we're going to take a quick break, and we will be right back. Families have a lot going on. Let Ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive health supplements for everyone four and up, like delicious Lolly Focus Pops or Lolly Mellow Pops for kids. And for parents, try three new Brainy Chews to help you focus, chill out, or get energized. Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Well, we got some good news yesterday. It seems like every time we do the podcast, do TikToks, watch the TV news, there's always some fucked up shit going on, some crazy shit, some violent shit, whatever it is. But we do have some good news that came out yesterday. 
Now, yesterday, the Senate passed a bill to codify protections for same-sex and interracial marriages, a historic vote aimed at protecting people's civil rights in the event that the conservative-led Supreme Court decides to dismantle marriage equality on the heels of gutting abortion rights. So what this does, you know, we were worried about the Republicans and the Supreme Court making, you know, interracial or same-sex marriages illegal, which I always thought was kind of weird, but uh, because isn't Mitch McConnell married to a woman from China, for God's sake? I know it's probably just a, a marriage of convenience, but he is still married to her. How can he be against this? But he is. Anyway, there was some concern that the Supreme Court would be able to have a finding that would make same-sex and interracial marriages illegal, which is fucking crazy. That's fucking crazy. But now since this bill to codify protections for same-sex and interracial marriages passed, I mean, it's completely passed. Now the Supreme Court can't do jack shit. That's why it's important with the abortion bill, the Roe v. Wade situation. We need to get that codified as well. That's going to be a harder get, but at least we got this. So once again, Joe Biden, the Biden administration, and the Democrats got yet another thing done in the first two years of control. Now, the Respect for Marriage Act passed 61 to 36. Every Democrat presented or present voted for it, and they needed at least 10 Republicans to vote with them. It's always the game, you know. We got this filibuster bullshit, so you can't just pass it with 51 votes. You've got to pass it with 60 votes. Well, they actually got 12 Republicans to vote for it which surprises me. I think maybe they got a lesson from the midterms. This going after LGBTQ doesn't get them any votes. It costs them votes. And some of the names on this kind of surprised me. The GOP senators, some of whom have not previously advocated for LGBTQ rights, were Susan Collins, Tom Tillis, who is a Trump-humping piece of shit, Rob Portman of Ohio. You know, he is the guy that is retiring, and Tim Ryan was running to get his spot, but of course, uh, he didn't win. It went to J.D. Vance, fucker. Roy Blunt of Missouri. Cynthia Loomis of Wyoming. Richard Burr of North Carolina. Shelley Moore Capito of West Virginia. Dan Sullivan of Alaska. And this one is kind of interesting. Mitt Romney of Utah. Now, I could see him signing something that, or voting for something, were the interracial marriage, but the same sex marriage? I mean, Mitt is a fucking Mormon. And if there's anything Mormons don't like, they don't like gay people. Then there was Joni Ernst Ernst from Iowa. That was a bit of a surprise. Lisa Murkowski from Alaska, not so much a surprise. And Todd Young. Now, Collins, Portman, and Tillis were co-sponsors of the bill, which is weird, along with Democratic Senators Tammy Baldwin and Kirsten Sinema. 
In order to expedite the bill, they uh, agreed to raise the threshold for passing it from 51 to 60 votes and allowed votes on a handful of amendments from conservatives. None passed. This is, this is a big deal that this passed. I mean, it's common sense for we Democrats, but the Republicans have always fought against this. And some of the people on that Republican list are a little surprising. Like I say, Mitt Romney, Tom Tillis. What caused them to do that? Did they learn a lesson from the midterms? Might they do the same with codifying Roe v. Wade? I mean, you just lost the midterms, and a big part of that was Roe v. Wade. Do they now want to try to back out of that and try to get some of those votes back? Or are they so solidified in uh, their connections to the evangelical folks that, that they won't do it? But I got to think the evangelicals aren't too happy about this particular bill being passed. So those people who have been who are involved in interracial or same-sex marriages, you're good now. There ain't nothing the Supreme Court can do, so fuck them. The measure now heads to the House, and assuming it passes, which it will, President Joe Biden will be signed into law. And, of course, he'll sign it. The House Majority Leader, Steny Hoyer, told reporters Tuesday that the House plans to take up and pass the bill as soon as next Tuesday. So soon this will become law. But, again, up until January, the Democrats have control of the House. So we're in fine shape. The bill does two things. It repeals the Defense of Marriage Act, the 1996 federal law that bans same-sex marriage, and it requires states to recognize valid same-sex marriages from other states. It also ensures the same protections for interracial marriages. Now, same-sex and interracial marriages, of course, already legal nationwide, but Congress is pushing through a bill in response to conservatives on the Supreme Court overturning Roe v. Wade, destroying 50 years of precedence. That's what they're worried about, that they're going to do the same thing with interracial and same-sex marriage. I mean, Lindsey Graham said as much. Justice Clarence Thomas, for one, had this to say. In a concurring opinion, when the court overturned Roe v. Wade in June, this is what he said. In future cases, we should, we should uh, reconsider all of this court's substantive due process precedents, including Griswold, Lawrence, and Obergfell. He was referring to the rights recognized in uh, Griswold. That's contraception. Lawrence sexual conduct with a member of the same sex, and Obergfell, same-sex marriage. Here's what you got to understand. If you're a younger person, you may not know this, but there was a time in this country when homosexuality was illegal. They would go into gay bars and they would round people up and throw those fuckers in jail. Now, of course, that doesn't happen anymore, but uh, the idea of People of same sex being married is abhorrent to these Trumplefucks. And, uh, of course, people like Clarence Thomas and Justice Alito, uh, they'd want to get rid of this. And if the Supreme Court makes a call on it, they could essentially make that happen like they did with Roe v. Wade. 
Now, Alito and Thomas previously called for revisiting same-sex couples' constitutional right to marry. It's kind of like what they wanted to do with Social Security. Yeah, it's been passed. It's maybe settled law. But let's put it up for grabs every five years or so. Now, in October of 2020, they said Obergfell decision was undemocratic and that the court has created a problem that only it can fix. Yeah, sorry about that, motherfucker. If Congress passes a bill, which they will be doing, you Supreme Court can mind your own fucking business because you don't make laws. You're supposed to enforce laws. But uh, clearly, you're stepping on people's toes right now, so Alito and, and fucking Clarence Thomas can shut the fuck up. You're out of this one. Next up is Roe v. Wade. The moment that the Democrats can codify Roe v. Wade, they need to do that immediately. Take that out of the hands of this illegitimate Supreme Court. Now, this is an interesting story. I did a TikTok about this, and at first I didn't get it. But then after I thought about it, I thought, wow, fuck, that's kind of interesting. Representative Kevin McCarthy, who believes he's the heir apparent to be the next Speaker of the House, although there's a lot of problems with that because there's a lot of people that aren't willing to vote for him. He needs 218 votes, and it doesn't look like he's going to be able to get it. When he got the nomination, he only got 188 votes. That got him the nomination. Won't get him the Speaker of the House. But the question is, who in the Republican Party could get 218 votes? As I've said before, the Republicans are kind of divided. You have the MAGA fucks, and you have the people trying to step away from MAGA. Now, who are these people going to agree on? I can't imagine there's anybody that they would agree on. Now, Representative Kevin McCarthy is showing some anxieties around the Speaker's race. He's getting nervous about this uh, as the final session of Congress comes to a close. Washington Post reports Aaron Blake and J.M. Rieger observe. Now, in an interview with Newsmax, and I don't normally talk about Newsmax because that's an illegitimate news source, but this happened there, and it's worth mentioning. Now, in an interview with Newsmax, McCarthy warned, if we play games on the floor, the Democrats could end up picking who the speaker is. How is that fucking possible? That makes no sense. And then a light bulb went over my head, lit up over my head, and I thought, you know what? He's actually right. Now, ironically, the, the, the comment comes from a former GOP colleague wondered if McCarthy would offer Democrats a deal behind the scenes. It's a worst-case scenario where moderate Republicans band together with the Democrats to decide on some less extreme or less easily manipulated. It's a rather hypothetical meant to persuade the caucus to unite behind McCarthy, said reporters. But that fact that McCarthy felt the need to lodge this warning shot would seem to say plenty about how imperiled he really believes he is. Now, as somebody who sided with Donald Trump as much as he has, there are no Democrats that are going to side with Kevin McCarthy. There is no fucking way that's going to happen. 
But something else could happen. And this is interesting. This is very, very fucking interesting. I hadn't thought about this. Now, of course, the Speaker of the House has to get 218 votes. But there's nobody in the Republican Party that can get 218 Republican votes. Now, in a normal situation, when they're voting for the Speaker of the House, I have to think the Democrats will either not participate or they'll all vote no, much like, you know, what the Republicans do in the Senate. So the Democrats are kind of out of it, right? But if the Democrats could unify, let's say they have 214 votes, okay? They're in the minority, but they have 214 votes. What if they recruit a more moderate Republican, a more palatable Republican? What if they recruit them and say, listen, we're going to make you Speaker of the House. We only have 214 votes, so you need to find four Republican votes, which they should be able to do, to get you into the Speaker of the House. This undercuts Kevin McCarthy, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Jim Jordan, all these motherfuckers. And it makes them look foolish. And Kevin McCarthy sees this now. And I think it's interesting. Now, this is a little out of the realm for Democrats to play this fucking game. But we've seen some pretty horrific things happen with Republicans. So hopefully they're thinking about that. Imagine that. And I don't know who might be more palatable in the Republican Party. I mean, there's no way they're going to be able to pick a Democrat. I mean, theoretically, they could pick a Democrat and get four Republican votes. That's not going to happen. So it has to be a Republican. Now, of course, we've also heard them talk about the fact that uh, this person who gets elected to Speaker of the House doesn't have to be a sitting member of Congress. They don't have to be in Congress. They were talking about Donald Trump. They were talking about Mike Lindell and all this bullshits. But what if somebody said, well, let's take Liz Cheney. Liz Cheney's got to have four fucking friends in the Republican Party. Not all these people have been tainted by Donald Trump. What if it was Liz Cheney? Now, you got to understand, I don't think Liz Cheney is any fucking savior. I don't like her mindset. She's against abortion. She's against everything that's Democratic. So I get frustrated when I hear Democrats say, oh, I like Liz Cheney. No, you don't, motherfucker. She's ultra conservative. She is the spawn of Satan. The only thing you like about her is that she was honest and stood up to Donald Trump. That's fine. I appreciate and respect her for doing that. But she's not going to do any favors for the Democrats. But you make her Speaker of the House, at least you know there's going to be some honesty and decency. You may not like her mindset or what she wants to push through, but again, no matter who gets to be Speaker of the House uh, for the Republicans, they don't have a lot of power. You know, they got a slim margin. Nothing's going to get through the Senate, and certainly Joe Biden isn't going to sign any crazy shit that the Democrats put out. So, Maybe this is what the Democrats need to do. The narrow margins are causing added problems for a party that assumed they would be swept in a red wave only for it to be a little more like a, like a puddle, 
While they campaigned on issues like crime, inflation, and the economy, the major promises being announced by those thought to be committee chairs under the GOP indicate they will focus instead on investigations. They aren't going to get anything done, especially if Kevin McCarthy is the Speaker of the House. Now, you get somebody who's normal who realizes that that will work against them in the 2024 election. I mean, common sense would tell you that's what's going to happen, but these fuckers are so caught up in their feelings and revenge and owning the libs, they can't see what is obvious. But if you got a Republican that had a little more common sense, it would piss off the MAGA people, and uh, it might make things a little easier to deal with. Granted, they would still have some control, but it wouldn't be the fucking crazies that we're concerned about. Now, if McCarthy makes an alliance with Democrats not to impeach Biden, he might win over some moderate Democrats, but it's unclear how many Republicans he would lose in exchange. See, that's the thing. I, don't, I, I just don't see McCarthy even having a fucking prayer there. I mean, he's been a sycophant for Donald Trump, which is going to make him not popular with those people who are now trying to walk away from Trump. But the fucked up thing is even the people that are the MAGA people that align themselves with Trump, they don't like him either. So who's going to fucking vote for him? There was a piece of this alliance that went through to the solid no votes. Andy Biggs, Matt Gates. Representative Bob Good, Ralph Norman. There's a chance that Matthew Rosendale could also be a no. Meanwhile, some of the Republicans have been cagey about their support, like Chip Roy, Clay Higgins. Hate that motherfucker. He thinks he's, that, that, that fucker thinks he's a TV cowboy and he's a dipshit. <coughs> then there's Scott Perry, Andrew Clyde, and Barry Moore. If five of these names are truly committed to actually voting against McCarthy and all Democrats cast ballots, that could kill McCarthy's shot at becoming Speaker. McCarthy previously tried to become Speaker along with the Freedom Caucus support, and of course, that failed. So this could get real interesting, and the Democrats may not be done fucking with these people, and I hope to God that is true. Here's some other good news. Former Trump chief of staff, Mark Meadows, we know all about him. We haven't heard much about him, but we know he was the focal point between the insurrectionist and Donald Trump, the sitting members of Congress and Donald Trump. Hell, Donald Trump's own family had to go through Mark Meadows to get to Donald Trump. So he's obviously a guy of interest. Now, Mark Meadows was ordered Tuesday by South Carolina Supreme Court to appear before the Fulton County Grand Jury investigating then-President Donald Trump's efforts, you know, to overturn the election in Georgia. The Supreme Court said, We have reviewed the arguments raised by the appellant and find them to be manifestly without merit. South Carolina Supreme Court justices wrote in a unanimous decision affirming the lower court orders for Meadows. Now, you remember, um, South Carolina did the same thing to Lindsey Graham, and he had to fucking testify. 
Mark Meadows tried to get away with not testifying, but uh, he's going to have to do it now. Uh, the interesting thing is here that a lot of people think that we haven't heard his name much because he cut a deal with the DOJ and uh, he threw Donald Trump under the bus. And that's conceivable. That's possible. That would be the smart move for Mark Meadows to do. However, that's a different thing than what we've got down in Georgia. This isn't federal crimes. These are state crimes. So unless he cuts a deal with Fonnie Willis, he's going to have to testify. And I got to think, Fonnie Willis, from what little I know about her and what I've seen of her, she ain't cutting deals with anybody. She's going to take them all down. Now, Nicole Wallace on MSNBC broke the news on the air and spoke of the weight of the ruling uh, with another reporter from PBS, Yamish Alcindor, and the Bulwark's Charlie Sykes. Now, Wallace said, the courts take much longer than I think some of us aching for accountability would like them to do. But Trump and his cronies keep losing every fucking court case. They're losing Supreme Court, appellate courts, federal court. Mark Meadows being ordered to testify is so huge. And it is because he was the closest guy to Donald Trump on January 6th. The election, uh, uh, the election deniers, the fake electors. He went down to Georgia separate from and in advance of Trump's call. See, that's the thing. Trump made the call, but Meadows went the fuck down there. He was on a call when Trump orders Raffensperger to, quote, find him 11,780 votes. He was a party to everything that went on to try to rig the recounting in Georgia. Mark Meadows was there. He knew what was happening, and he signed off on it. Uh, uh, Wallace goes on to say, certainly, I mean, if you think of former President Trump's White House, he was, you know, he had the title of chief of staff. He was also the president's right-hand man when it comes to efforts, alleged efforts, to overturn the 2020 election. Now, When people at Fox and other places, right-wing people, are supporting the former Trump, former President Trump, when they were alarmed by the January 6th, it was Mark Meadows that they were texting to say, hey, even for us, this has gone too far. You'll remember that. You know, people who were in the Capitol, people who are Republicans are saying, hey, you need Donald Trump to tone this fucking down a little bit. And guess what? Mark Meadows either didn't give him that that information or he did give him the information and Donald Trump just ignored it, which is more than likely uh, what happens. So that tells you how close he was to the president and the fact that he has seen he was kind of the gatekeeper for Trump when it came to information. He also was someone that repeatedly we heard during the January 6th hearing, but someone who really refused to ever reel uh, former President Trump in. Yet a chief of staff in the past, you think of General Kelly, who was complicit in some regards, but definitely tried to put up barriers and also tried to say the former president, hey, you cannot do this. Here are the things that just don't seem presidential. But Donald Trump wasn't listening to any of that bullshit. 
He didn't care. He thought he could bully his way through and get his way. Unfortunately, that didn't work. As I've said before, we had them trying to overturn the election, trying to overthrow the government. They had all three branches of government involved. The executive branch with Donald Trump, Mark Meadows, and the like. You had the uh, DOJ, the legal branch, uh, William Barr and those people there that were trying to do everything to overthrow the government. And you even had the Supreme Court sticking their nose in with Ginny Thomas and Clarence Thomas. And guess what? They still couldn't get it done. That is incompetent at a level I can't even imagine. When you've got all these pieces put together and you still fail, that is the essence of Donald Trump. That's who Donald Trump is. He's a fucking failure. Now, They go on to say, I think that's what you would call it, especially this way critics would call it. We're trying to get this election, this 2020 election, overturned. So it's a very big deal that he might now be forced to answer questions under oath about his conversations with former President Donald Trump. He was on the call when Donald Trump said he needed 11,780 votes. There is no one more in the know than Mark Meadows. And that's why it's been so weird when we know the DOJ um, got some of the text and the emails, the same that uh, January 6th committee, and then all of a sudden he disappeared. It was quiet. It was radio silence. And why didn't we hear from Mark Meadows? And again, it's more than likely that he decided to cooperate to save his ass. That would be the smart thing to do. But now he's got a deal with Fonnie Willis. He did not want to testify. The South Carolina Supreme Court, which is where he's from, same situation with uh, Lindsey Graham. They said, no, man, you got to fucking testify. So now it'll be interesting to see what he does because he's tried very hard to avoid testifying. You remember with the January 6th committee, he decided not to testify, but he did turn over a lot of documentation, a lot of documentation that was very damning to Donald Trump, to him, and to the administration, and maybe sitting members of Congress. And we always thought that was weird. Why did you turn over the documents, but you won't testify? Then the DOJ started to dig in this, and it got quiet. Now, of course, we've got the uh, the big election down in Georgia, the runoff election between incumbent Raphael Warnock and uh, dumbfuck Herschel Walker. Now, the interesting thing is Herschel Walker, his people, the Republican Party are saying, Donnie, stay the fuck away. You fucked up the midterms. You're not going to help here. And this is pissing off Donald Trump to a certain extent. Now, on the Democratic side of things, former President Barack Obama will head to Georgia this week to bring a final boost for his unmatched star power to Senator Raphael Warnock ahead of next Tuesday's runoff against Herschel Walker. But Donald Trump 
will not be doing the same for Walker. Instead, Trump will hold a call with GOP supporters and continue his fundraising appeals, according to a new report in the New York Times. Now, what's funny about the fundraising efforts, (laughs) hopefully Herschel Walker and his people figured this out because it turned out that Donald Trump was fundraising for Herschel Walker He collected the money, sent Herschel 10%, and pocketed 90%. That's got to piss off Herschel Walker. Now, he can continue to try to fundraise, but is he still doing that? I would suspect Donald Trump is because he's a sketchy motherfucker. Now, the good news is is that Raphael Warnock has had a lot more money than Herschel Walker, so he's outspending him. And I really think that this this election is not even going to be close or certainly not as close as it was because people are now able to focus on just this one election and just these candidates. And no matter what happens, Herschel Walker is like Donald Trump and he'll fuck himself over every goddamn time. Now, the New York Times says that both the Trump and Walker camps decided that an in-person visit might be too politically risky after the GOP's midterm losses were blamed on his weak candidates. Republicans also still hold Trump responsible for the 2020 loss in Georgia, which sent both Warnock and Democrat John Ossoff to Congress. Now, Walker's campaign has been just beset with controversies. Like I say, let him talk, let him do what he does, and he's going to fuck himself over. So it's going to be interesting to see how this plays out. I just get this gut feeling that it's not going to be close, though, that uh, Herschel Walker is going to lose big. And part of the reason I feel that way is because we're hearing, in spite of the fact that Georgia tried to make it harder to vote, that they have record amounts of voters coming in. There are long lines. You have to wait an hour to vote, but they are doing that. Like 2020's election, people are scared to death, and they are going to vote. Because not only is Herschel Walker potentially a danger. But he would be an embarrassment. For six years, he would embarrass Georgia. Now, somebody who has a condo down there, I don't have a primary residence. Of course, neither does Herschel Walker. It would be embarrassing to me, too. Herschel Walker can't be elected senator. Now, the last thing I want to talk about, this is interesting, too. Now, officials in a rural Arizona county Monday delayed the certification of November's midterm elections, missing the legal deadline and leading the Arizona Secretary of State's office to sue over the county's failure to sign off. This was Cochise County Board of Supervisors. They pushed back the certification. They want to avoid certifying the election. And, of course, this is all about the uh, governor's race, Carrie Lake against Katie Hobbs. Now, the interesting thing is the secretary of state that is now suing Cochise County happens to be Katie Hobbs, who won the governorship in the election in the midterms. But these Cochise County people are trying to be a stick in the mud or a fly in the ointment. We're not going to certify it. (laughs) But the funny thing is, and as I've said before, 
Republicans are stupid. Fucking stupid. Here's what you need to know about this deal. Cochise County is one of a number of counties in a congressional district. Now, in this congressional district, then there's about 47,000 voters. Um, now, if you don't certify that county, then you have to throw out those, um, those votes. And a Republican won in that congressional district, but not by much, like 9,000 votes. So it's conceivable, if they continue to push this issue, that the Republican who won that race could then be outed or put out by the Democrat. These Republicans think they're doing something here, but they may be fucking themselves, giving them one less representative in the House of Representatives. And really, the crazy thing about this is fucking Carrie Lake won that county. So now you're going to take votes away from Carrie Lake. How fucking stupid is that? See, this is what I've said before. They know Kerry Lake lost. Now it's just about owning the libtards. We're not going to do that, and we'll show you. Yeah, but you might lose a rep in the House of Representatives, and it'll just make it look worse for Kerry Lake. But you'd rather own the libtards. Now, Katie Hobbs is suing them. She'll probably win because it goes against the U.S. Constitution and the state constitution. These people can't win. I suspect when it comes up Friday, people will have told them exactly what I just told you, and they'll go, we're dumb fucks, so yeah, we'll certify it. But we, we push back. We're the tough guys. We push back. But it isn't going to matter. Kerry Lake is not going to be the governor, and this little effort is just going to make it worse. So fuck it. Let them do it. Maybe we get an extra representative out of out of uh, Arizona. I don't know how it would all shake out, and apparently there's something like this going on in Pennsylvania too. But it's just so stupid. Why would you even do that? Take the L. Don't worry about owning the libtards, because when you do that, they're going to actually fucking own you. I have a low tolerance for stupid. And this is why I'm glad I'm not a fucking Republican, because I'd be dealing with stupid all day, every day. All right, let's wrap up the Rational Boomer podcast. I hope you have a great day, and we will talk to you again tomorrow. Thanks for listening to the Rational Boomer podcast. Don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll see you next time.